Friends, we continue today in our series through Colossians. The series is coming to an end. I hope it's been beneficial, uh, and I hope it has turned your eyes towards Christ. We have three more weeks, and then we'll continue studying the Bible together. Our text for today is Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. And this is the word of the Lord. Wives, submit, your, sub, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do, do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Junk drawers. I wonder if you have a junk drawer in your house. Perhaps you have a junk room. Perhaps you have a junk garage, and it can keep getting bigger and bigger. We all have parts, places in our homes where we don't want people to go to. We all have things that we would rather leave messy, unattended, and that no one would ever become aware of those things. We all have aspects in our lives that we would rather keep private. But in the Christian realm, if Jesus is Lord of all, he is Lord of every aspect of our lives. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. We've seen these, this truth very clearly in this series. Jesus is the Lord of the church. We've seen this very clearly in Colossians as well, haven't we? But is Jesus the Lord of your life? Every aspect of it. Is he the one who directs your priorities, your decisions, and even your relationships? In today's text, Jesus' lordship arrives at home. At our home. Jesus' lordship arrives where we sometimes hide. And when Jesus is Lord, he decisively becomes Lord of all. Now, today, we've arrived at perhaps the most countercultural section in this letter. The idea of authority and submission is not well received in our society today. And the idea of authority and submission is specially rejected in our society today when it comes 
to relationships between men and women, husbands and wives. People get canceled today for much less than what I am about to say. And I cannot deny that in some ways I have felt tempted preparing the sermon to soften my message. But I hope you will notice that I did not. I hope that you will notice that I am speaking the oracles of God. And this is important because today I do not want you to get your sense of morality from me. We do not derive our sense of morality from the world, from the pressures of the world. We do not mold our morality to please the world. We do not mold our moralities to follow men, but to follow God. We derive our morality from the word of God. So at the end of the day, I am going to say things that some of you will say, this is not acceptable. But I want you to look past the speaker. And I want you to look to God and ask, Lord, is this your truth or my life today? And if God is speaking, the authority that is on you is so much greater than the authority I have. If God is speaking, I too am under his authority. So at the end of the day, the question is, is God speaking these truths today? And, and, and it's, this is how we ought to build our morality, isn't it? God didn't call us to himself in order for us to tell God how the world ought to be run. God called us to himself in order for us to learn from him how the world ought to be run. So we look to God's word because the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. The morality of the world is ever shifting, and if we chase that, we'll walk around in circles. But if we look to God, we'll always walk in straight paths. Culture will one day be corrected, but the word of God will never be corrected. So it is our job to understand what this passage says and model our lives after it. So my main point, okay, so here's my main point for today. If Jesus is Lord of all, his lordship must reach every aspect of our personal lives. And we're going to look at three realms. Most of our time we're going to spend in the first realm because I think this is where society has attacked, has attacked Christian truths the most. So we're going to spend most of our time in the realm of marriage in verses 18 and 19. But we'll also spend some time on parenting and some time on work. So marriage. What we have in verses 18 and 19 is a vision for marriage that respect the differences between a man and a woman. This statement did not used to be controversial. A man is not a woman. A woman is not a man. 
The Bible respects that. It is disrespectful towards the individual to downplay the significance. Our society does not like to make distinctions between men and women. Society believes that men and women are equal in every way. So they erase the distinctions that God, in His wisdom, imprinted in us from the very beginning. Now, we know that both men and women are equal in their dignity, right? God created us in His image, male and female. What a beautiful truth. We are both equal in Christ. So at the nature level, at the dignity level, both men and women are to be held with equality. And yet we know that men and women are different in many ways, don't we? Biology cries out, we are different. Doesn't it? Men and women are different in their roles and functions in the home. This distinction is designed by God to meet us where we are stronger. And, and here's what I want you to, to hear today. I remember once being counseled by a pastor and telling the pastor, well, I see that the Bible is telling me to do this, so I will do it because I have to. And what he helped me understand at that moment is that actually I was not believing the Word of God. Because the Word of God comes and teaches us how to walk, not just so we get to do these things that are bad for us, but the Word of God instructs us in our walk so that we may flourish. And men, ladies, gentlemen, when we look to God's word and we try to understand our roles as God describes them, we don't just get to do them. We do them because by doing them, we flourish. By doing them, our families thrive. The more men act like men and women act like women, the more a society will thrive. Now, we recognize that have been abuses in history at both ends. An exaggerated view of what the Bible says men should do and what women should do, and a view that downplays these two roles. I'm saying, whatever we are, let's look to the Word of God and let us adjust our views to the Word of God. Men and women relate to one another in the home, this is the primary realm that we're going to talk about today, although this is not the only realm the Bible talks about. But men and women relate to one another in the home, not in an egalitarian way, but in a complementarian way. And the way men and women complement each other is beautiful, godly, and good. So, in what ways are men and women called to complement each other in the home. The passage in verse 18 begins with, Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, the Lord calls you to submit to your husband. 
Paul could have used the word obey here. And this word would have been completely acceptable in the Roman world. Wives, obey your husband. Yet he does not. For the Roman household, what mattered most was order. And a strong Roman man should keep his household in order under all circumstances. As a matter of fact, in verses three, in chapter 3, verses 20 through 4, 1, Paul does use the word obey, a distinct word, when referring to children and bondservants. But Paul does not use the word obey referring to husbands and wives. Neither here, nor does he do it in the par parallel passage in Ephesians. He uses the word submit. Submission assumes there is a mission led by the husband. And the wife is to place herself under that mission. Douglas Moo, the biblical commentator, says this about the distinction between these two words. Obedience naturally fits a situation in which orders are being issued and in which the party obeying has little choice in the matter. Submission on the other hand, suggests a voluntary willingness to recognize and put oneself under the leadership of another. In other words, the Bible is not saying, husbands, subject your wives. No, the Bible is saying, wives, submit to your husbands. The burden of the imperative falls on the wife and not on the husband. Some of your versions may actually say, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And that's good because what the translation is doing here is it's trying to communicate the, the, the middle voice of the Greek language, which puts the burden of the action on the very person the verb is referring to. So, wives, submit your very selves to your husbands. This is not meant to lift a burden, but to add a burden, a burden of obedience. So, wives can never say, I don't submit because he doesn't make me. Wives have to say, submission is a choice that I make. And I submit unto my husband because I ultimately submit unto my Lord. So wives, this is God telling you, choose to submit to your husband's. And the reason why wives should submit to their husbands is in the second half of verse 18. Because it is fitting in the Lord. What does this mean? This means, ladies, when you submit to your husbands, you are doing something that is right before the Lord. You are ultimately submitting to the Lord. And when we submit to God's rules, 
we submit to God himself. And when we submit ourselves to the Lord, we flourish. You know, one of the, commentar- one of the commentaries that I was reading to, uh, as, I was stu- as I was studying to prepare the sermon, uh, when, when, the commentar- when the commentator arrived at this verse, the commentator spent about 90% of the things that he said about submission to explain what submission is not. And about 10% to explain what submission is. And I thought, he doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. We're not trying to justify the order that the Lord gives us. We're not trying to soften the commandments of the Lord. We're not embarrassed to say the Lord has designed the home to have order. We embrace this and we do so because we love the Lord and we love people. And we know that the commandments of the Lord give us life. So when we obey the Lord, we experience a fullness of life. Submission is God's perfect design for a wife. Submission is a matter of faith. Do you believe the Lord or do you not believe the Lord? If you believe the Lord, embrace it. What does biblical submission look like for a wife? Wives are to look to their husbands for spiritual leadership. This is the mission of the husband. Just as Christ leads the church in her path of sanctification, so is the husband responsible to lead his wife in the path of sanctification. Wives are to honor and respect their husbands. Ephesians 5.33, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wives are to support their husbands. Genesis 2.18, we see the example in Eve who is made to be a suitable helper. God gives Adam a mission, but he also gives him a helper. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Fourthly, wives are to pray for their husbands. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Even if some husbands do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And this verse even gives us more insight, doesn't it? The Bible even calls wives to submit to unbelieving husbands. Why? Because the role of authority and submission in the home is not rooted in the fall. It is not a result of sin. It is rooted in creation. The order of God was one of leadership and submission. So, this is a big call. This is a broad 
call. And ladies, some of you may feel more prone to heed this call. Some of you may feel less. Regardless, it is your call to put yourself under the authority of God. And by implication, put yourself under the authority of your husband. In just a little bit, I'm going to say, I'm trying to do the back, I'm trying to do uh, the commentator's reversal. I am going to say a few things that submission is not. But because the text is not highlighting that, I don't want to highlight that in my sermon. I want to highlight what the text is saying positively. So I, I do have more to say. So if you want me to say more, just, just hold on. Okay, it's coming. But what about husbands? Husbands are called to love their wives. Now, if you went to, if you turned on your TV in 33 AD and you watched daytime television around the, earth, the, around the, the Roman Empire's uh, time and you turned to the view, Roman edition, or if you watched Good Morning Antioch, or if you were to watch, watch Dr. Philippians, and if you were to hear the words, wives must submit to their husbands, no one would think anything of it. But if you were to say, husbands, you must love your wives, you would create an uproar. What an encouragement that Paul didn't care going against culture. And we, like him, should, in this different historical context, where things are different, where things are backwards from that time, we, like him, should press against culture and press towards God's design. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Love is the greatest virtue. And I think, husbands, if we are to be honest, we are sometimes, perhaps often, not very good at loving. Especially to the standards that we're called to love. The parallel passage in Ephesians says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, husbands, if this won't make you fall on your knees and cry out, cry out to the Lord, I don't know what will. The call is greater on you. The burden is heavier on you. When God calls Adam and Eve to account, He speaks to Adam. When the apostles develop the doctrine of sin in the New Testament, they bring up Adam. Though Eve sinned first. Husbands, the Lord will require much from us. 
the great authority that we have will also be met with great expectations from the Lord. Our need for God is clearly before us when it comes to our responsibilities towards our wives. And how can we love like Christ if we don't know Christ? Friend, if you're here today, and one of the reasons why you're here is because, because you want your marriage to work, husbands. If you're here today because you need help in your marriage, let me first of all say, I'm so glad you're here. You're in the right place. We can help. If your marriage is struggling right now, would you come talk to me? We as a church can help you. But the first thing that I'll tell you is the most important thing that you can do for your family is to love Christ. It's to know Christ. It's to subject your will to the will of Christ. Why? Because Christ calls you to believe in his sacrifice and then to preach his sacrifice with your own life. How should husbands love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Friends, this is the picture of the gospel. So when a husband loves a wife rightly, sacrificially, the, go the, the husband is proclaiming the gospel in his own flesh. Friends, the gospel is the message that we a rebellious people were damned to condemnation, were destined to condemnation. Friends, our sins created a chasm, a great abyss between us and our God. But Christ so loved the church that he died for her. Christ gave himself up for the church so that she may be washed clean so that she may be sanctified so friend you can get your house in order but will you first get your life in order with the lord would you come join the church experience the love of christ and once you experience the love of christ reflect that love of christ to those that you relate to specifically to your wife. You will never ultimately be a good husband until you know the love of Christ. Until you come in faith, confessing your sins and your rebellion against God and be once again united with Him. Just as the church is united with Christ so should husbands be united with their wives. Husbands, this is an impossible call. The burden on us is impossible. But one must fulfill it with the power that God supplies. So what does biblical love look like for husbands? Husbands are to put their wives' needs before theirs. Not only in the sense of protection, 
give up your life for her physically, but also in the sense of preference. Prefer her needs over yours. Husbands, let me give you a verse that will cause your relationship with your wife to flourish, that will bring great pleasure and joy in your homes. Philippians 2, 3, Do nothing from selfish, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider your wives. I'm just applying the verse. Cons consider your wives as more significant than yourself. Husbands are to lead their wives spiritually. You've heard me say this last week, and friends, let me say this again. The spiritual leadership of the home rests on you, husbands. If your family is struggling spiritually, look into your own heart first. Lead your family. Just as Christ leads the church in sanctification, husbands, you must lead your wives to grow in Christ-likeness. So do not abdicate spiritual leadership to your wife. Do not rely on your wife's spiritual discipline for the well-being of the home. Be in the Word of God. Be in Christian fellowship. Pray. Lead your family in devotionals. Be the one in charge. Lead your wife. Husbands are to romance their wives. Although the word love here does not exclusively refer to romance, it certainly does not preclude romance. One of the reasons why husbands are told to love their, love their wives it's because, in general, women feel a deep need to be loved. So, friends, God, in His wisdom, has told men to intentionally display romantic affections towards their wives. You know, a few years ago, I was counseling a couple, and I was, uh, they, they, were, they were not, thriving in their relationship. And yet, as I counsel them, as I ask questions, try to unveil what the issue was, I honestly could not find much deep and significant sin. It, it didn't seem like they were holding on to sin. But what I realized is that what the husband thought that his wife needed. You see, this was a very handy guy. He loved to fix things. He loved to provide. But he never expressed love, affection, care. He never sought to do things that were thoughtful and meaningful towards his wife. He simply was completely oblivious to that. And men, sometimes that's true of us, right? Well, I work so many hours, I, I come home, I'm tired, I provide well, I'm a good protector, I'm always ready. Aren't, aren't those good things? Those are wonderful things. But, but can I encourage you to ask your wife, how can I love you 
in a way that you feel loved? Can you ask your wife that? And she may say, well, we already do. And she may say, well, let me tell you. And the good thing is you want to know. You want to know. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And that's wonderful. And I know I've asked so many of you to be here, okay, to, to help with the FIT outreach. I'm sorry. There is always a great opportunity to celebrate Valentine's Day on February 15th, okay? Would, would you take some time to love on your wife, to display her your romantic affections towards her these days ahead? Husbands, listen to this. Whether your home will be filled with joy or not largely depends on you. Not exclusively, but largely. Wives are called to a very difficult task. Submit to you. That's difficult. But you can make submission for your wife. In gen generally speaking, you can make submission for your wife a joy. If she sees that your goal is for her to flourish, not you. That your goal is to bring her joy, not yourself. You, you can do that, and, and your wife, your wife will gladly, in general, submit to you. Wonderful thing is, with the authority you have, you also have control of this aspect of your relationship. Fourthly, husbands are to treat their wives with gentleness and patience. 1 Peter 3, 7 reminds husbands, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, physically weaker, since they are heirs with you of the grace of God. The dignity of a woman is full in Christ. Husbands, we must honor that. Gentleness is of the essence. But listen to how the verse ends. Why should you be gentle towards your wife? So that your prayers may not be hindered. I, I don't know if you've noticed that the Lord is not answering your prayers. Can I ask you, can you evaluate how you're treating your wife? Because the Bible says that if you don't treat your wife with gentleness, the Lord will not hear you. Sometimes the Lord doesn't answer because the Lord is is not answering that request. But sometimes it's right for us to examine our hearts. Friends, to be harsh with our wives is to hinder our communion with God. The Lord is not harsh with our wives. Why should we be? The Lord does not take this matter lightly. And if you have been harsh with your wife, you should repent. You should confess your sins to the Lord. And you should confess your sins to your wife and ask for her forgiveness. Now, before we move on, I want, to, I want to say three things. First, in this whole picture of complementarianism, I want you to know that complementarianism is not the abuse of authority, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Complementarianism, complementarianism is not patriarchy, or chauvinism, or any other isms that misplace the balance of love and submission. 
The husband has authority in the home, but its authority is limited. The authority of the husband is subject to the authority of the Lord over his life. Therefore, a husband must submit first to the Lord and his will and his purposes. A husband has no authority to abuse his wife in any way. If you are experiencing abuse in your home, we can help. We can help you. And I want you to know that this church is for you. I would love to talk to you. A husband also has no authority to lead his wife to disobey God. When faced with the decision to choose between submitting to God or submitting to her husband, a wife should choose God every time. Complementarianism, when balanced, fosters the flourishment of the family. Families thrive when husbands love and wives submit. And they both do that out of obedience to the Lord. Second, I want to say to you that if your marriage is struggling, we can help. We can help you. Would you use your church as a resource to help your marriage thrive? You know, we believe that we can be counseled in the Word of God, and the Word of God addresses brokenness and sin. And every single one of our marriages is broken and plagued with sin. We all need help. Do not be embarrassed. Do not be ashamed to say, please help. We can help. We are available. Third, let me finally say a word to those who desire to be married and are not. And also to those whose lives have been shattered because of a broken marriage. Friend, you're going to have to receive this by faith. If your life is in Christ, you are complete. You lack nothing. If you're discouraged, turn your eyes to eternity. Find in the local church relationships that will fulfill you. Remember that our Lord Jesus Christ was the most complete human being to set foot on earth, and yet he was never married. If Jesus was complete in his human experience, you too can experience completeness in him. Friends, if you're struggling with this today, would you hear the words of Psalm 68, 5? Father to the fatherless and protector of the widow is God in his holy habitation. God is a husband to those who need the help. Okay, so let's move on now to parenting. Now, since I've already established the Bible's, uh, uh, the, the Bible's position on authority and structure of authority in the home, I'm not going to spend much time arguing for that again. Instead, I'm going to go straight into relational aspects between parents and children. Look at verse 20. Children, Obey your parents in everything. Did you hear that? Everything. 
what falls out of everything? Nothing. It's an all-encompassing statement, isn't it? Children are to look to their parents for wisdom. Parents represent to children the authority of God. Children learn to obey God by obeying parents. That was my son right there. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You hear that? In the Lord. To obey the Lord is to obey your parents. Why? Great argument, right? Very complex argument for this is right. Paul is just settling something that is obvious. You know, a few years ago, I saw a movie trailer, and, I, and, and uh, it was one of those Christian movies, and, uh, and there was a kid praying. And the kid was probably about 10. And, and, and the kid portrays such spirituality in the prayer that I, I wasn't convinced really was in, in his heart. That there was such devotion, and, and it just didn't seem real. It, it didn't seem like the way 10-year-olds normally speak. And that got me thinking, what, and of course, it was a trailer, so the kid was acting. So that got me thinking, what does spirituality look like for children? Does it look like this incredible display of, displays of eloquence and lofty words? No, children's spirituality is mostly, most clearly demonstrated in their willingness to obey their parents. Okay, so children demonstrate that they are spiritual when they say, I don't like to do this, but I'm going to trust my parents. And I'm going to obey them because, because when I obey my parents, I obey the Lord. So can I speak to the children here? What a wonderful church that we have, right? That we have so many children in this church. What a gift. In 10 years, we're going to have a wonderful youth program. Children, can I speak to you? When your parents call you to do things, when your parents tell you to eat things you don't like, when your parents tell you, no, you can't watch TV right now, you're going to instead read a book, when your parents call you to do things that you don't like, and you say, I don't really like doing this, but I'm going to do it because obeying you is the right thing. You are actually obeying God. So can I encourage you to trust God and to say, thank you, God, that you have given me parents who love me. And thank you, God, that even though my parents sometimes tell me to do things that I don't like to do, they are here for me. Can I encourage you to trust God in this way and follow him? And learn from your parents what it looks like to obey God. Can, can I encourage you to do that? Okay. I, I think all of us who know God today and who have walked with the Lord will tell you when we were your age, we wish we had done more of this. So take our word, obey the Lord by obeying your parents. Does age make a difference? Well, of course, as children grow, interactions with their parents will change. Earlier on, discipline will take a more, uh, a more primary role. Later on, influence will play a greater role. Yes, as children get married, their locus of authority shifts. But friends, these are household codes. So 
parents are tasked from the Lord with the responsibility to rule over their households. So if you live under your parents' roof, you live under their rules. That is the will of the Lord for your life. Now, parents, I want to remind you of this. The goal is not control. The goal is faith. What you want is for your children to walk with the Lord. This is why Paul says in verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Fathers here is plural. It is referring to both father and mother. And fathers and mothers should not provoke their children to anger. Now, this doesn't mean parents shouldn't contradict their children. It does not mean parents should say, shouldn't say no to their children. Parents, the word no is your friend. Use it. This means, however, that parents should be wise in how they exercise authority. Authority and wisdom are both indispensable for godly parenting. Parents shouldn't exercise their authority to the point that their children feel spiritually discouraged. Authority should lead to spiritual encouragement. The picture here is of someone spurring a horse so often and so hard that the horse kicks back. May not, that not be our model of parenting. Your parenting must reflect the authority of God, but your parenting, parenting must also reflect the grace of God. There is a time to overlook. There is a time to forgive. There is a time to exercise long-suffering. Grace-filled parenting creates an environment where your children know that they can come back to you even when they fall in prey to sin and folly. There is a, sign, a time to say to the prodigal son, go. And with your longing eyes, and with your hearts filled with prayer, sit at the gate of the city until the prodigal returns home. Perhaps you're there right now, Friends, do not give up praying for your children. Believe in prayer. It is a gift that the Lord has given you. The Lord hears the prayers you utter for your children. Persevere in faith and in prayer. Finally, let, let us consider work. Verse 22 begins with the, words, with the word bondservants. The range of meaning of this word is very broad. It could mean just a servant or it could mean a slave. This here probably refers to those who, were, to those who served as slaves in the home or house slaves. Not the worst position to be in, not the best position to be in in their cultural context. Now, Slavery is evil in any way. We know that. But we also need to realize that we read Scripture with our cultural assumptions in our mind. And we need to 
overcome those to understand what the Lord is saying. Slavery in America was very different from slavery in first century Rome. Slavery in America was wicked in every way. Slavery in first century Rome was not race-based, but very often a financial agreement, indentured service. And this was more often than not the case of home slaves, those who were kept for the work in the home. So what we're seeing in this passage is actually a lot closer to the relationship between an employer and an employee. And I think it can really apply to this realm of our lives today. So bond servants are to obey their masters. And we're going to see one statement on how to do that and then three statements on why to do that. So how? Verse 22, bond servants should serve their masters with sincerity. Christian workers need to excel in honesty and hard work. May this be true of us when it comes to our employment. Listen to the words of our church covenants. They're so helpful for this realm. We also engage to walk circumspectly in the world to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportments. Wouldn't everyone benefit if we live that way? But also, let's answer the question, why? Why should bond servants obey their masters? Well, verse 23, because we work unto the Lord. So friends, work is worship. When we serve our employers well, we render worship to the Lord. Also in verse 24, why should bond servants serve their masters? Because there is a heavenly reward to our earthly labors. It's interesting that Paul refers to work here as something that will lead us to salvation. It's, pu it's a puzzling thought. And I think Paul is saying that because... We submit ourselves to God when we submit ourselves rightly to our employers. What is this reward? It's heaven itself, the inheritance. When our work is worship and we serve Christ, we're securing our heavenly reward. So whether you love your boss or whether you hate your boss, whether you make $9 an hour or $9 a minute, be the best employee you can be because your work is worship. And you are actually serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, why should bond servants obey their masters? Because God will deal with the dishonest. Don't be bugged down and it feels like everyone's cutting corners around you. Don't do it. The Lord knows. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. Finally, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul reminds masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Masters need to be just and fair. Why? Because the master of heaven is master over them. 
There's a play in words here. The word master is Lord. And earthly lords must be fair because the Lord who is in heaven is Lord over them. So friends, Jesus is Lord of all. There is no authority that has ever, be, ever been given on earth that, is not, that does not come from the Lord Jesus himself. Therefore, all aspects of our lives are to be ordered under the Lordship of Christ. And this brings us full circle to my main point in this message. If Jesus is Lord of all, his Lordship must reach every aspect of our personal lives. What aspects of your life must you surrender to the Lordship of Christ? Would you pray with me? Father, would you lead us to walk with Christ under his Lordship? Father, we are often so rebellious. But Father, you can lead us to obey Christ, submitting our will. May Central Baptist be filled with husbands who love their wives and wives who submit to their husbands, children who obey their parents, and parents who are patient with their children. May our work ethics be the work ethics of those who know that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Transform us, Lord, so that we may line up our lives with the will, purpose of Jesus Christ the Lord of all. In his name we pray. Amen.